because it would almost turn the clock back rather than going forward. That is my major concern. Oh, good. We're going to turn the clock back on the pandemic. Keep going. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. We're doing great. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast that's heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, uh, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR, New Orleans. WHIV in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ in Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle on KODX Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR in Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF five days a week We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel Netroots Radio Indie Media Weekly FYI Nation NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, amongst other fine affiliates. Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow. Says me from Bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, as uh, our thanks, as ever, to Nicole Sandler, speaking of which, for filling in for us yesterday. Uh, and given the avalanche of news <laughs> happening today, <laughs> quite literally all at once, uh, boy, I could use her help again today, Des. I know. We need like an extra five hosts well, and three more hours yeah. just to cover the one or two things that happened. Well, yet. I'm thinking that we could easily just do two shows at the same time. <laughs> Over the hour, and frankly, still not cover everything that seems to be happening at once today. So, and you are not kidding. <laughs> yeah, so we got a lot to try to catch up on uh, as we work our way through everything that is going on, including a, a special. It is special election day for the U.S. House in two different states. We'll try to get to that. Uh, we will try to work through what we can. Undoubtedly, uh, we will get into more detail on all of this from experts as the weeks as the week. I guess the weeks proceed. <laughs> Uh, and somehow we will end today with a green news report. Somehow. If we're lucky. Maybe. Yeah, the way it's going, we'll find out. Uh, anyway, that's the plan. We'll see where we end up. Let's start for the moment with the two pretty huge concurrent hearings that both took place at the exact same time on Tuesday morning. One was in the U.S. Senate, half virtually and half in person, I guess, regarding the coronavirus, and the other in the U.S. Supreme Court, which took place completely virtually, or in this case by teleconference as several different related cases held oral arguments that were heard and broadcast live to the public 
uh, due to the crisis. Uh, let's start there for the moment, and I suspect we'll be getting into more detail on this later in the week, along with another important oral argument set for Wednesday on faithless electors in the Electoral College. And if uh, those chosen to be electors have a constitutional uh, right to vote for whoever they may want at the Electoral College or if they may vote as their state does. But on today's case, or I should say cases, the Supreme Court on Tuesday appeared likely, at least according to AP, to reject President Donald Trump's claim that he is immune from all criminal investigations while in office. That's the idea that a sitting president could literally shoot people on Fifth Avenue and could not be stopped or arrested or even investigated for doing so while sitting as president. That is what the president's lawyers unsuccessfully but actually did argue in the lower courts Um well, that argument may not end up flying here with the Supremes, but the court seemed less clear about exactly how to handle subpoenas from Congress on the federal level and from the Manhattan District Attorney at the state level for Trump's tax, bank and financial records in all of those cases. The court's major clash over presidential accountability could end up dropping like a bombshell into the 2020 election and presidential campaign, which, by the way, is exactly what we need. <laughs> you mean it's not chaotic enough? We need to have a yeah. couple of Supreme Court yeah. landmark historic yes. rulings? Why not? L liven things up a bit. It's uh, <laughs> getting a little dull. Uh, well, in any event, that would happen if, in fact, a high court ruling here ends up leading to the release of a trove of some 10 years of personal financial information for Donald Trump and his organization um, records before he became president. So these are not presidential records. These are records of Donald Trump as a, as an average citizen. If this ruling, of course, comes down before Election Day, as could happen uh, when the court releases its opinion. Well, the opinion will most likely come out before Election Day, but it could end up being a bombshell depending on how they decide these cases. To be honest, I would say it's probably going to be a bombshell either way. Uh, well, true. Somebody's going to be angry about it. But oh, right yeah. now, isn't everybody angry about everything? <laughs> uh, with this uh, stolen Republican majority, of course, I'm not particularly encouraged uh, from the argument and questioning that I heard today, especially in the cases of the congressional subpoenas to try to get at tr uh, Donald Trump's uh, financial information, the Supremes could, as far as I could tell from listening to, to today's live streamed uh, uh, teleconference oral arguments, they could uh, probably find consensus to kick the case back down to the lower courts where Trump has lost in every instance so far in these cases. Um, but uh, the Supremes could mandate those lower courts to narrow the material that is being sought from Trump's accounting firm, Mazars, and two different banks with which he does business, Deutsche Bank and Capital One. Uh, and they could ask the lower courts to uh, narrow the specific reasons uh, for allowing these subpoenas to move forward. In that case, we would likely not get a resolution in this matter this year, and a subsequent release of Donald Trump's financial records would not come, if it ever does, until well after the 2020 presidential election. Nice how that works, isn't it? The justices heard uh, in, in two different, if related, cases by uh, telephone Tuesday. Um, 
the these uh, cases, the, the court has been meeting by phone because of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, the upside to that is that their oral arguments are being broadcast live for the first time in the court's history. So that's cool. We kind of got to listen to it right away instead of having to wait several days or uh, wait for people to report on it and, you know, glean what we can from that. The justices sounded particularly concerned in the arguments over congressional subpoenas, as I heard it, from some three different U.S. House committees uh, who are all seeking uh, these documents. They argue for legislative lawmaking purposes, not for mere investigation, uh, fishing expedition purposes, as the president's lawyers and the DOJ seem to argue. The justices on both sides of the ideological aisle, however, expressed concern about whether a ruling val validating those subpoenas would end up opening the door to limitless future subpoenas for the mere harassment of future presidents. Presidential harassment, as Donald Trump has said, and as uh, that phrase came up over and over again during uh, Tuesday's hearings. Now, remember, in all of the cases heard on Tuesday, the congressional committees in the first set of cases and the New York City district attorney in the other, they are not actually seeking anything from Donald Trump personally. They're seeking the material from third parties, his accounting firm and his banks, which have said that they are good to go. They are ready to turn over the material as soon as uh, this is decided by the courts. Trump, however, is interceding here essentially to sue those third party organizations to prevent them from turning over the material to Congress uh, in their committee oversight capacity and to the Manhattan D.A. who is pursuing a criminal grand jury investigation against the president. That uh, investigation, by the way, is related to the Stormy Daniels hush money payoff scheme that uh, Trump's attorney, Michael Cohen, went to jail for after he and prosecutors charged that the president directed the scheme that sent Cohn to jail uh, after Trump unlawfully failed to report those payoffs as a campaign expense. Uh, based on that prosecution, then, Cohen, you'll recall, testified to Congress that Trump had lied on his various loan documents and his tax returns, sometimes inflating or deflating the worth of his properties as needed that, of course, would be fraud. And that's what the New York District Attorney is now investigating and thus seeking both financial documents and bank records uh, for their own uh, internal deliberations regarding uh, of the banks regarding, you know, Trump's loans and applications, etc. So some of this stuff is not even Donald Trump's own financial personal financial records. It's the bank talking about you know, Donald Trump is applying for a loan. Should we give it to him? No. Right. Why shouldn't we? Et cetera. There were concerns about money laundering. So that's uh, among the material that the district attorney is hoping to get. And in my non-lawyer mind, those sounded like perfectly legitimate reasons to do so. I mean, and in, in other words, Trump's lawyers seem to be arguing literally mm -hmm. that not only he, but also all of his businesses are above the law and immune from prosecution. And even people who work with his businesses before he was president, because he's president now, you can't talk to them either. 
Well, the justices on both sides of the aisle, I thought, uh, seemed troubled that there seemed to be, at least on the congressional portion of this, the congressional committees, uh, that there was no what they called limiting principle for those committees to simply subpoena anything they want for any reason. Uh, and they would be able to deem it necessary to their lawmaking purposes. And the U.S. House General Counsel Doug Letter, for example, was unable to come up with an instance where Congress could go too far in such a subpoena. As the justices suggested, and I think correctly, that anything could be sought under the guise of material needed for uh, considering new laws. I was hard. I was trying to think of something myself. Well, what could you not ask for and then come up with a, a reason that, oh, we need this information because we're considering a law that has to do with this or that? Um, some of the court's more liberal members argued that the court did not need to make a rule uh, that would apply to every subpoena that ever came in concerning a president, but that they should just consider each such subpoena on a case-by-case basis to determine if it was a legitimate uh, rule lawmaking purpose. But in the case involving the uh, district attorney in Manhattan, Cyrus Vance Jr., and uh, his subpoena for Trump's taxes, the justices showed little interest in the broadest argument that was made by Donald Trump's lawyer, Jay Sekulow, that a president cannot be investigated while he holds office. Period. End of story. Full stop. He can do anything he wants. Uh, They didn't seem to fall for that. That's good. The cases resemble earlier disputes over president's assertions that that they were too consumed with the job of running the country to worry about these lawsuits and investigations. But uh, in 1974, and these cases came up over and over again throughout the arguments, in 1974, the justices acted unanimously in requiring President Richard Nixon to turn over White House tapes to the Watergate special prosecutor. And in 1997, in another unanimous court opinion, they allowed a sexual harassment lawsuit to go forward against President Bill Clinton. So here, Trump's personal lawyers are arguing that congressional committees are just simply trying to harass him. They've got no legitimate lawmaking purpose. With the uh, justices seemingly worried that this would open the door to, uh, as uh, Democratic-appointed Justice Stephen Breyer said, he was worried that the House was seeking, quote, a lot of information and some of it's pretty vague. He noted, quote, the fact that what I hold today will also apply to a future Senator McCarthy asking a future Franklin Roosevelt or Harry Truman exactly the same questions. He said that bothers me. Now, in the Clinton case, uh, it was a civil matter, and the president was forced to respond to that case during his uh, presidency, uh, thanks to the Supreme Court at the time, including uh, sitting for his deposition, you'll recall, which eventually led to his impeachment. In the case of Nixon, not long after uh, turning over the tapes to the committee, uh, once the Supreme Court ordered him essentially to do so, um, he decided, uh, as the committee was deciding if he would be impeached, He ended up resigning. In those cases, three Nixon appointees and two Clinton appointees, uh, respectively, in the various cases, each voted against the president who chose them for the high court. Now, the current court has two Trump appointees, Justices Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh. 
Do you think they'll end up voting against their own president who appointed them? Based on what I heard today, I would say highly unlikely that they would bite the hand that fed them and put them in that spot. I would tend to agree with you here. Uh, Appellate courts in uh, D.C. and New York uh, on the federal level have ruled that the documents should be, yes, turned over, but those rulings have been put on hold pending the uh, Supreme Court's ruling here. The appellate decisions brushed aside the president's broader arguments focusing on the fact that the subpoenas were addressed to third parties asking for records of Trump's business and financial dealings as a private citizen, not as president. Thus, they were neither protected, these documents, by some sort of executive privilege, nor would turning them over be an undue burden on the presidency itself, since Trump essentially does not have to do a thing. His accounting firm and banks would do so. Uh, His attorneys and and several of the Republican-appointed justices argued, however, that the scope of the subpoenas for some 10 years of material was was burdensome in and of itself for the president because he would want to review the documents that were being handed over. Uh, So that alone was a burden somehow on the presidency, going along with the argument that a president is above the law. When I was told, uh, grew up learning, oh, nobody is above the law. Silly me. We're in a brave new world now. Uh, As noted, we will certainly be talking more about these cases in the days ahead and and what, if anything, we can read from the tea leaves uh, presented at the oral argument. But for my money, the justices seemed more skeptical of the congressional subpoenas and the fact that there's nothing uh, that really limits such subpoenas for anything from any president and Uh, Also, the House general counsel in this case, Doug Letter, was not a particularly effective representative of the case. I would agree with you on that. You thought so, too? I did, unfortunately. Now, I I thought Kerry Dunn, the uh, general counsel for the New York DA, uh, I thought he was much more effective uh, in arguing his case in the criminal investigation of Trump by also pointing out that the delays have already hamstrung that investigation because they are racing against the statute of limitations that could run out uh, in a state's criminal investigation. Uh, They they said that, you know, they've been uh, basically uh, in court for nine months on this. And, you know, if a president is allowed to hold things up until the statute of limitation runs out because he, you know, in the meantime, cannot be investigated while he is sitting as a president... Um, that's essentially what Trump's attorneys were arguing, that he can't be investigated. And so if he wins re-election, that's another four years that these uh, statute of limitations will eventually run out, and he will never be able to be charged if a grand jury finds that he did something in violation of the law. Uh, The uh, president's attorneys also argued that there are some 2,300 district attorneys across the country and that if they all decided to prosecute a president at the same time, that there's no way that a president could carry out his duties. Yeah, I found that to be a completely specious argument because there is no way that 2,300 district attorneys are going to do such a thing, which uh, the the uh, the uh, House. I'm sorry, the uh, Kerry Dunn, the uh, New York the, the attorney, DA. The general counsel for New York, yeah. Right, he pointed that out. He said that's that doesn't happen, that's never happened. This is not even within the scope of, you know, when we're talking about hypotheticals, this is a silly hypothetical. And it was, the reason it's being done by the Manhattan District Attorney is because that's where Donald Trump lived, that's where these banks are. That's I where mean, his Trump is, organization is. is. That's right, this is a very special case. 
Uh, but that argument did come up throughout. So uh, we will talk about that in the days ahead. But that's what happened today at the U.S. Supreme Court. Meanwhile, uh, well, I say at the U.S. Supreme Court, but it was really at, I guess, all of the justices' homes or wherever <laughs> it was that they were doing their uh, uh, teleconference from. Because the court is shut down due to the pandemic, even while Donald Trump is telling everybody they need to open up right away. I wonder why he doesn't tell the Supreme Court to open up right away. Meanwhile, the uh, pandemic made uh, far worse and far more deadly by this sitting president continues to get worse despite the administration's continuing efforts to pretend it all away. Uh, I believe Nicole covered this briefly uh, on our previous uh, broadcast, but I was simply gobsmacked. And, and, and we can even see it in the video that on Friday in Iowa, Vice President Mike Pence, on the very same day that his own press secretary was revealed by Donald Trump to be uh, COVID positive, the uh, group of CEOs that were gathered for this staged meeting with the vice president, they were sitting there patiently waiting for him to arrive uh, at the table. He was running late because they discovered that his press secretary uh, back in D.C., they discovered uh, she was uh, COVID positive. But the CEOs were sitting there with their masks on uh, and then a Pence aide comes out and asks them before he came on stage to remove their masks before the meeting. And they did it, even though the uh, Meekly. public health officials, including the White House's own public health officials, say that masks slow the spread of the deadly virus. And one of the vice president's own aides right then that day had tested positive for COVID-19 just before he departed for Iowa. Um, the recklessness of that behavior, according to uh, Robert Mackey at The Intercept, came into sharp focus as Bloomberg News reported that Pence had decided to self-isolate at his home in Washington over the weekend skipping a White House meeting with military leaders on Saturday because his press secretary, Katie Miller, had tested positive on Friday. That decision was quickly reversed. Uh, and uh, there he was back at the White House, Mike Pence, uh, back at the White House mask. without a mask. Yep. Uh, a Des Moines register, uh, register live stream of the uh, event that Pence attended on Friday. That roundtable was with food industry leaders uh, at the High V corporate headquarters in Des Moines, it showed all five of the invited guests arriving wearing masks, but then being asked to remove them just before the vice president came out. Two of those executives, Ken Sullivan of Smithfield Foods and Noel White of Tyson Foods, run meatpacking plants where hundreds of workers have contracted COVID-19 including a, uh, a Tyson plant in Waterloo, Iowa, where more than a third of the workforce, over 1,000 people, have now tested positive at this one workplace, and at least three workers have died. Mm. This Tyson plant in Waterloo was reopened the day before the meeting on Thursday, in response to the executive order from Donald Trump designating the meat supply as critical infrastructure. The uh, request that the executives remove their masks underscores how, the, uh, how committed the White House is to ignoring their own federal health advice. Even while meeting with a guy 
who works at a plant where more than a thousand people have contracted the virus before then later announcing he was going to self-isolate and then the next day saying, oh, never mind, I'm going back to work at the White House without a mask again. And while the vice president was not wearing a mask at that meeting on Friday, um, nobody was. Uh, well, some people were very few reportedly in the audience, but uh, there were elected officials there who had accompanied Pence, including uh, Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue and Iowa's two Republican senators, Chuck Grassley and Joni Ernst. They did not have a mask either. After the event at which the uh, chief executive of Smithfield Foods choked up when mentioning the death of a worker from COVID-19, the union that represents Iowa meatpackers who have been forced back to work by this executive order from the president, despite outbreaks at their plants, uh, suggested that it would have been more useful for Pence and Purdue and Grassley and Ernst to have worked a shift alongside those workers. Mm, that would be good. The union said they should work in the same conditions and under the same fear that our members and their fellow Iowans work under every day. That in a statement from the United Food and Commercial Workers Union said in uh, in their statement. Do you, do you suppose that, the, that Mike Pence would do that? Do you suppose that Chuck Grassley would get in there? And Mike, I, mean, I remember Mike Pence was delivering uh, boxes of uh, PPE to a nursing home to show everyone how he was helping out. Why doesn't he get in there and clean some chickens and pull some pork in that line next to all of those, you know, thousand of uh, infected people? By prioritizing his immense vanity or a fear of looking weak, writes Mackie, or being laughed at or a desire to downplay the severity of the crisis over his own health, uh, and that of, the, uh, of his vice president, aides and followers, the president is not just failing to model good behavior, he is actively discouraging it and helping the virus that has killed more than 81,000 Americans to date and threatening the lives of many more. And as those numbers continue to grow by about 2,000 a day now, more reports find that it is growing exponentially in the uh, many small rural counties around the country, which might be inclined, the people in these counties, to follow this particular president's example. No, you don't need a face mask. Enjoy yourself. These rural counties in the so-called heartland of America, that is where the virus is taking off now. And oddly enough, Trump knows this. Or he should know it, and he's choosing to continue to try to pretend it all away anyway. How do we know this? Well, because his own White House says so. Though they are trying to keep that information a secret from the public. According to NBC News last night, which obtained copies of, this, of alarming documents from the White House. More documents uh, from the White House's own coronavirus task force that are not being released to the public. Coronavirus infections are spiking to new highs right now in several metropolitan areas and smaller communities across the country, according to undisclosed data that the White House Pandemic Task Force is using to track rates of infection. The data in a May 7 Coronavirus Task Force report are at odds with Trump's declaration on Monday that, quote, all throughout the country, the numbers are coming down rapidly. They are not coming down rapidly. 
not by a long shot, according to the White House's own documents. But those are secret documents. You're not supposed to know about that. Well, they're not Neither secret anymore. Anybody. The top 10 areas recorded, uh, uh, the top 10 areas highlighted in this document recorded surges of 72.5% or greater over a seven-day period compared to the previous week. Uh, they include uh, areas such as Nashville, Tennessee, Des Moines, Iowa, Amarillo, Texas, and atop the list with a 650% increase, Central City, Kentucky. Oh, hello, Mitch McConnell. I'm sure your constituents will appreciate that. You're up for re-election this year, aren't you? Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, um, whose state now includes the nation's highest surging geographic area, said on Monday that he has, quote, felt no urgency for Congress to approve another coronavirus bill. Of course not. That would require helping average Americans, and Republicans don't do that. Uh, on a separate uh, list in this document of locations to watch, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, Kansas City, Missouri, Omaha and Lincoln, Nebraska, Minneapolis. Uh, yeah, sorry, Minneapolis. Montgomery, Alabama, Columbus, Ohio, Phoenix, Arizona. The rate of new cases in Charlotte and Kansas City represent increases of more than 200%. Over the previous week, the uh, spiking infection rates suggest that the pandemic is spreading quickly outside of major coastal population uh, centers that were early hotspots, while governors of some of the states that are home to the new hotspots are following Trump's advice to relax stay-at-home restrictions. Alabama, Kentucky, Iowa, Missouri, Nebraska, and Tennessee, they have no stay-at-home orders. In other states where restrictions are being put in place or, or, uh, or are repealed at the local level, as opposed to the state level, well, some counties are experiencing huge surges. Dallas and Fort Bend counties in Texas. Sorry, Des. You better call your family and let them know if all they hear is Fox News. Uh, decisions there are being made locally. Um, they are on a locations-to-watch list. Some of these numbers are just amazing. Uh, Trousdale County, Tennessee, has had an increase uh, in the past seven days, 1,197%. Leavenworth County, Kansas, 1,176%. Buchanan County, Missouri, 656%. Muhlenberg County, Kentucky, 650%. Huge numbers, huge numbers in uh, in rural areas. Uh, AP, using its own data set, not the information that is being withheld from us by the White House, but using its own data set, uh, they found that even as uh, Trump urges getting people back to work and reopening the economy, an Associated Press analysis shows thousands of people are getting sick from COVID-19 on the job. Recent figures show a surge of infection in meatpacking and poultry processing plants, a spike of new cases among construction workers in Austin, Texas, where that sector recently returned to work. The uh, doc Dr. Mark Escott, a regional health official, told Austin City Council that the people who are getting sick right now are generally people who are working. That risk is going to increase the more people are working. 
Of the 15 U.S. counties with the highest per capita infection rates between April 28 and May 5, AP found all are home to meatpacking and poultry processing plants or state prisons. But it's not just those workers and the elderly at nursing homes who are getting hit particularly hard right now. As the pandemic worsens while governors open up their states for no good reason other than Donald Trump thinks it'll help his reelection chances. Uh, the elderly, yes, continue to account for a disproportionate share of COVID-19 cases. Uh, but in, uh, in, for example, in January and February, 76 percent of the cases involved people who were 50 or older. Since March, however, only about half of the cases are of that range. So, yes, more and more young people are getting hit. And to make matters worse, the initial reason for sheltering in place, you'll recall, was so as to not overwhelm our hospital systems. Well, uh, those healthcare workers uh, were both among the earliest Americans to test positive and they continue to be infected in huge numbers. The California Nurses Association now says that as many as 200 nurses a day tested positive in California recently. 200 a day. Nationwide, uh, he says, the uh, National Nurses uh, National Nurses United had tallied more than 28,000 positive tests and more than 230 deaths among healthcare workers. So it is getting worse. Donald Trump knows that, but he is lying about that. And the governors of states following his deadly orders to reopen, they know about it as well. But they're doing it anyway. For example, Arizona on Friday saw its biggest single day increase in coronavirus cases with 581 new cases in Arizona. Intubations also reached a new high on Friday. As of Monday morning, the state saw 11,380 confirmed cases of the virus and 542 deaths in Arizona. A week ago, as they began opening up for business, the statewide total stood at just under 10,000 cases and 362 deaths. So uh, more than 1,000 cases in a week. And... Um, I, well, I don't know how many deaths. I've lost, lost track at this point. Uh, about 200 deaths in that week. Suspected or positive coronavirus cases in emergency departments also reached a high last week in Arizona, hitting 485 on May 7, ahead of the single-day record, uh, which was 480 just a few days earlier. Intubations in Arizona have been on the climb 58 on May 4, 66 on May 5, 88 on May 6. They just keep going up and up. And regionally, there are signs of trouble ahead for the Southwest in general after early hotspots emerged in major cities like New York and Seattle and New Orleans. Analysis indicates the virus is now taking hold in more rural areas and among counties with a high prevalence of the, of the virus. More than 45% of them now are in western states. And at the same time, the Navajo Nation, which includes land in northern Arizona, New Mexico and Utah, has reported more per capita cases of the virus than any individual U.S. state. With three more than 3000 cases overall and 100 deaths. 
in the Navajo Nation. That, even as South Dakota's wingnut Republican governor, Kristi Noem, is now threatening Native American tribal reservations who do not remove roadblocks that they have set up to prevent all but people with essential business from entering their sovereign lands. Kristi Noem, Republican from South Dakota, threatening the uh, Native American Indians if they d- if they don't stop protecting themselves. And today, Dr. Anthony Fauci, head uh, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases since 1984. He's a member of the White House Coronavirus Task Force. He was finally allowed to testify to the U.S. Senate remotely because he and the head of the CDC and the head of the FDA are all now self-quarantining due to contact with infected people at the White House. Fauci warned that there would be great, quote, suffering and deaths if states open too quickly, as they now are. Uh, He said the uh, result could be, quote, really serious. He said, quote, the consequences could be really serious, could turn the clock back on both the disease and any attempt at economic recovery if some uh, two dozen states now have begun to lift their lockdowns as a first step toward economic recovery. And if they continue to do so too early, as they are doing so, the consequences could be really severe, according to Fauci. States or cities or regions, uh, their attempt, understandable, to get back to some form of normality disregard to a greater or lesser degree the checkpoints that we put in our guidelines about when it is safe to proceed in pulling back on mitigation. Because I feel if that occurs, there is a real risk that you will trigger an outbreak that you may not be able to control, which in fact, paradoxically will set you back, not only leading to some suffering and death that could be avoided, but could even set you back on the road to trying to get economic recovery because it would almost turn the clock back rather than going forward. That is my major concern, Senator. Dr. Anthony Fauci saying that uh, reopening too early could trigger an outbreak you wouldn't be able to control. Well, uh, anyway, that's enough good news for today, (laughs) Uh, which also happens to be, by the way, Election Day in a couple of places around the country, including right here in California with a U.S. House special election offering a preview of how Trump and the Republicans plan to try and prevent voters from voting this November by mail and at the polling place. Trump's latest pretend rigged election is next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today 
to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com donate, and thanks. Cheering me up a little bit. You're welcome. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Okay, on Friday, not long after we got off the air, California's Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom announced the state will send every registered voter a mail-in ballot, a postage-paid mail-in ballot for this November's critical presidential election. The move to send out some 20 million ballots to Golden State voters this November naturally was criticized by national Republicans as a pathway to possible large-scale fraud. With the state still under stay-at-home orders and facing a future of unknowns from the outbreak, the Democratic governor said sending postage page ballots to every registered voter was the best solution to addressing the anxiety felt by many people about gathering in large groups that are breeding grounds for the virus. Anxiety? What anxiety? In-person voting places will, however, remain available for those who might need them, but it wasn't immediately clear how many would be available or where they would be located. With the move to statewide mail-in ballots, California hopes to avoid the problems that plagued last month's horrific Wisconsin presidential primary where thousands of voters without protective gear were forced to wait for hours in long lines while thousands more stayed home to avoid the potential health risks which plummeted uh, turnout in that race. Now, both Wisconsin and California happen to be holding special U.S. House elections on Tuesday, and the issue of vote-by-mail and in-person polling came up in relation Uh, At least to the U.S. House special election underway in California as we go to air today, the uh, results of which, if they are available uh, in California, we will share with you on tomorrow's broadcast. But uh, in many ways, the New York Times writes today that Tuesday's special election in California's 25th congressional district to choose the successor to former Congresswoman Katie Hill is a microcosm of national politics right now and a harbinger of what's to come in November when many states are expected to move toward vote-by-mail elections amid the pandemic. The race in California between Christy Smith, a Democrat and longtime elected official, and her Republican opponent, Mike Garcia, who's a former pilot and a uh, uh, now a defense contractor, Uh, The race has become increasingly nasty as they have battled on the airwaves while they are both confined to their homes. I'll get to the nastiness in a moment. Meanwhile, in Wisconsin, the uh, special election to fill the House seat vacated last year by former Congressman Sean Duffy, a Republican. That one is not expected to be close, but is being viewed by both parties as an important indicator of enthusiasm for this year's election. Uh, Like Wisconsin's contentious April 7 election, the voting in the state's 7th district, uh, which covers part of 26 counties, 
Gerrymandering just, yeah. is awesome. <laughs> just to give you an idea yeah, of how gerrymandered Wisconsin is. That's why Republicans do it. 26 counties. Uh, anyway, that that election in Wisconsin was going to be uh, conducted by both mail and in person. And they had to call out the National Guard to deploy uh, as poll workers to some locations. Uh, they've also been activated, by the way, in Nebraska, which is holding its primary elections on Tuesday in the already decided Democratic presidential contest. Uh, but they're also holding local races as well. But uh, this comes from uh, over the weekend. The, the California race got really ugly and presented a, a very good preview, I think, of what we may see as we get closer to November. So this uh, this coverage comes from Fox News. OK, so it is their spin here, not mine. The leader of the National Republican Congressional Committee, the NRCC, sent a memo <clears throat> to all House Republicans on Saturday with a, quote, urgent call to arms that Democrats are trying to, quote, steal Tuesday's special election for California's 25th congressional district seat. Donald Trump, naturally, echoed the concerns of the NRCC chair, Tom Emmer, from Minnesota, Republican. Uh, on, uh, on Twitter on Saturday, he blasted the what he called, quote, the rigged election <laughs> in the northern Los Angeles County district. Sound familiar? Trump tweeted falsely, quote, Governor Gavin, Gavin Newsom of California won't let restaurants, beaches and stores open, but he installs a voting booth system in a highly Democratic area supposed to be mail in ballots only because our great candidate Mike Garcia is winning by a lot. California 25 rigged election, Trump wrote. You mean Trump lied. Thank you. Yeah, it was never going to be a mail-in ballots-only election as the president of the United States lied to the country on Twitter. There was always plans for in-person voting, and an additional polling place added over the weekend was called for by, yes, Democrats, and guess what? The Republican mayor in the city where this uh, additional polling place was added. Now, Garcia and top Republicans, according to Fox, are crying foul about the county's decision to open up a new in-person center on Saturday in a more Democratic area of the district. They argue Democrats pushed for the extra voting location after seeing mail-in ballot returns were favoring the GOP, which is true, by the way. The mail-in ballots received by uh, uh, late last week were heavily favoring the Republican in the race by about 45 to 35 percent to uh, fill this seat that was vacated uh, by a Democrat uh, last last year, this year, last year. That I was think. last year, yes. Katie Hill. She was a Democrat. She had actually taken it from uh, a, a Republican previously. Uh, but anyway, the mail-in ballots that had been returned so far were favoring the Republicans. Uh, if you want to glean anything from that uh, by ballots, however, need to be postmarked by Tuesday. They can still come in for several days after Election Day in California. Democrats uh, blasted uh, Trump and the GOP for trying to restrict voting access with this rigged election nonsense. They argue that uh, the additional early voting center was needed so that voters in the very diverse city of Lancaster would not be disenfranchised. There was already a total of 10 voting centers open for the special election. So, no, it was not supposed to be mail-in ballots only. 
Even Fox concedes there was already 10 voting centers open. Fox News, uh, however, exclusively exclusively obtained this memo sent by Emmer to House Republicans on Saturday, urging them to, quote, raise hell about the new voting center. Los Angeles County election officials, not Governor Gavin Newsom, as Donald Trump said, but L.A. County election officials. Yes, that would be my my great friend, Dean Logan, the registrar recorder, (laughs) county clerk here in Los Angeles, who refuses to come on the show. He announced that the Lancaster Voting Center on uh, Friday would be uh, he announced on Friday that it would be open on Saturday, Sunday and Monday for early voting. Emmer wrote in the memo in response on Saturday that it is very clear the Democrats are trying to steal this election and we need your help raising hell on social media, TV, radio, etc. So if you've heard them, Republicans raising hell about a stolen election and a rigged election, well, that would be why. Well, I hope that that means that if they do raise hell, then it gets the word out to those voters that they have a new voting center they can go to now. Well, I actually, I hope it does get that word out. And I hope that Fox News, if, if anyone at Fox News actually bothers to read beyond headlines at foxnews.com, I hope they read all the way down to the bottom of the story where uh, this is noted. Democrats in Lancaster were raising concerns that they didn't have a voting center in their diverse community and that would cause poor turnout for African-Americans, according to LAist.com. The mayor of Lancaster, R. Rex Paris, a Republican and a supporter of the Republican Garcia, also wanted an additional voting center. The Republican mayor of Lancaster, where they're putting this uh, polling place, told LAS.com, this is something the county should fix immediately. There should not be even the appearance of affecting the outcome by limiting the ability to vote. He said, I want Mike to win. I think he'd be a better congressman, but I don't want to jimmy the election. Well, thank you, Mr. Mayor. An honest Republican in Lancaster. Go figure. Uh, uh, So uh, Emmer in in this dumb letter said we're on the verge of shocking the world by flipping a California congressional seat for the first time since 1998. Well, it wouldn't be that much of a shock. It had been Republican just about a year and a half ago. Um, but uh, well, you know, they're lying. So what? That's what they do. A Democrat did, however, win by nine points in 2018, which really did shock the world. Yes. Uh, any event, uh, Emmer says Democrats know this and they're doing all they can to steal this election. Somebody really ought to tell the Republican mayor of the city where they're setting up this vote center to steal the election because that Republican mayor would really like to see that vote center set up. And thankfully it was, and hopefully voters were able to use it, and hopefully they didn't have to use one of the touchscreens that L.A. County is now, uh, well, we'll see how much they're pushing them on the voters anymore. Those touchscreens, a $300 million boondoggle we've been complaining about they may have been used for that one election and we may never see them ever again we'll see we can only hope anyway we'll have results of whatever the hell happens in uh uh ca25 and all of those races on our next thrilling edition of the broadcast if the results are in until then let's take a quick break and we will be back yes indeed with desi doyan and the green news report next on the broadcast we made it i'm brad don't touch that dial
The Bratcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. I do hope those people who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on the public airwaves, I hope they feel like they're getting their money's worth because, <laughs> boy, do we pack a lot of news into one single hour. We do try. Not that we have any choice at this point <laughs> in this history of the world, which brings us to our latest Green News Report. We're really going to do everything we can to um, restore accessibility. Trump administration begins reopening national parks despite coronavirus risks. Oil industry bankruptcies mean taxpayers clean up abandoned wells. Plus, France pushes airlines to cut emissions in exchange for bailout. Sounds reasonable. All of those stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. This is a great time for people to explore America. A lot of people haven't seen many parts of America. That's true. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin. They haven't seen the inside of an ambulance. They haven't seen the inside of an ICU. They haven't seen the inside of a coffin. Great advice. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, Steve Mnuchin says it's a great time to travel, time to hit the road, time to see the country. I see uh, no downside to that recommendation whatsoever. (laughs) Yeah, ready or not, they're coming, whether there's coronavirus or not. Apparently. Yeah, the Trump administration has ordered major national parks to begin the process of reopening with limited services and offerings after a very brief closure due to the coronavirus pandemic. Here's Interior Secretary David Bernhardt on a Utah radio show minimizing the deadly coronavirus threat and instead reassuring people that it is safe to go back in the water. We're really going to do everything we can to um, restore accessibility. And then what we'll see is our facilities will begin to come online um, after that um, in, in various stages. But national park advocacy organizations say the Trump administration is putting rangers, staff, the public, and surrounding communities at risk by not ensuring adequate personal protective equipment is available and enough staff to enforce physical distancing rules. According to leaked documents, the Trump Interior Department's own projections warn that 40% of park staff at those parks may have to isolate themselves and 4% of staff may require hospitalization, all in rural areas with limited health care. Hey, Ranger loser, you don't want to get sick and die? Too bad. Get out there. Our national parks are calling you, and the president of the United States needs you to stand there and risk your life. Meanwhile, drillers in the U.S. are finally beginning to shut in oil and gas production due to global oil demand crashing some 30 percent in April after coronavirus shutdowns around the world. Chevron, ExxonMobil, and ConocoPhillips have all announced production 
cuts in Texas and Canada, but the virus is threatening to trigger a spate of bankruptcies among small and mid-sized producers. And that will bring a new looming problem. Orphaned wells abandoned by bankrupt oil companies that walk away, leaving states to clean up the mess. There are more than three million abandoned wells pockmarking the country today, leaking contaminants into groundwater. Politico reports that Louisiana's state and oil gas cleanup fund doesn't even have enough money to clear its existing backlog of 4,000 abandoned wells, much less to deal with new ones. So as usual, the most profitable industry in the world, the fossil fuel energy industry, is left to the taxpayer to pay for cleaning up behind them. Right. Nice work if you can get it. And the oil supply glut is about to get worse. A flotilla of 28 Saudi oil tankers, each carrying 2 million barrels of oil, are now arriving to offload their cargo to U.S. Gulf Coast refineries, further concerning shale oil producers in the United States who can't compete with the Saudis' ultra-low production costs. Dozens of tankers are now accumulating off of U.S. ports, acting as very expensive floating storage because on Shore storage tanks are approaching full capacity. So we've already got all of these ships offshore storing oil just sitting there. And now we're seeing millions more gallons coming over from Saudi Arabia? Yes. Who's in charge of the supply chain? The Saudis want to make sure the U.S. oil producers get crushed. This will all work out very well, I'm sure. But some good news. Some European Union nations are using coronavirus recovery funds to require polluting industries to clean up. France will require the airline Air France to cut its carbon emissions as a condition of receiving government support. The deal requires Air France to eliminate short short-haul airline routes that can be taken by rail in the same amount of time to reduce emissions and pollution. The airline will also be required to reduce its CO2 emissions per passenger by 50 percent by 2030 and meet other benchmarks in a slow transition to sustainable fuel sources. So the government of France is giving the airlines money but requiring them to give something back in return to save the planet. Yes. Here in the U.S., we give the airlines money and they have to do nothing, correct? That's it. So France, socialism. Here in the U.S., giving away free money, asking for nothing in return. That's capitalism. MAGA. And finally, the city of Seattle has announced that it will permanently close 20 miles of existing streets to most vehicle traffic in order to create more space for residents to safely walk and bike. And they're keeping it that way, even after the pandemic ends. Nice. For much more on all of those stories and the many we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. I'm walking, hear the knee and I'm talking. By you and me, I'm hoping that you come back to me. I'm lonely. Very good. Thank you very much, Desi Doyan. Yep. And thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is always greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. And again, thanks to those of you who support our work by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. We would not be here without your help. Thank you. You can drop me email anytime. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. Yes, I read them all and I reply to many. And you can also find, follow, and share all that we do on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad Blog. That is it. Until we see you again tomorrow, I hope. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.